Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels. We have another great topic for you today, and the topic is a mouthful. So I'm going to let Dr. Daniels bring the topic forth, and then we'll get into the discussion. Well, uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, CB. You know, I've been getting a lot of questions from various individuals, uh, females and males, about the difficulty of really living the role of a husband or wife as outlined in the Bible. You know, the Bible in, in, in the fifth chapter of Ephesians says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church uh, and gave his life for it. And it also says that women ought to be submissive to their husbands because the husband is head of the household. And so there have been many issues about well, what does it mean to be submissive and what does it mean to love as Christ loved the church. But it's also been the issue of, uh, of that fear of totally um, living up to that commandment uh, because there are some men that are uncomfortable in that role. Uh, there are some men that oftentimes resort to either physical or mental abuse. Uh, there are some women that are afraid of uh, letting a man be in what they consider to be control of the situation uh, for, for various reasons. Uh, because they may think that their husband is not uh, one that makes good decisions about money matters or he may be an abuser or any host of things. And the woman herself may be abusive toward the man. And so the question that, that we have to reconcile is um, uh, how does that play into actuality when we are living everyday lives? How do we conduct ourselves in a way that allows us to follow the commandments of God uh, and get the benefit from following God? Uh, as well. Uh, but also, how do we deal with the reality that there are people that we may be married to that themselves will not follow God? And so what then becomes the pitfalls? And, and how do we get around that? And what does the Bible say about those, those, right. those things? And, I, you know, and the, the crazy thing is, Dr. Davis, the first thing I can, I can almost hear the listeners thinking right now, saying, well, why don't you just get a divorce? Mm -hmm. You know, but and me and you both know of, of couples that's been together 50, mm -hmm. 40, 50 years, mm -hmm. and you know they've encountered some type of situations that we that you just mentioned, sure. where there's a little maybe power struggle over a certain instance or a certain uh, issue that they may be having, whether it be financial or do we move to this particular city or do we leave this house, even down to who's taking out the trash, you know, right. little things to big things. So... How does how does a person get over that fear? How does a man get over the fear of leading the household mm -hmm. if they have it? And how does a, how does a female get over the fear of giving up that power once they become married? Right. Well, let's let's define first of all what that is. What that, what does that look like? Because most people have a difficult with that. All right. Um, in, in any relationship, you have to look at the relationship the way the text looks at it. Right. The way the Bible looks at a marriage is like we look at a, it's a contractual relationship. Right? And actually, that's what it is. There's a contract that's given. So it's a business type relationship. And that's how the Bible looks at it. Um, and, and so based on that concept, then there are roles that each person has to play in the business that are not based on how emotionally they feel about the business. It's based on what's best for the business. 
And so each party should act on what is best for the business and not what's best for them individually. That's the first thing you have to grasp is that my role as a husband is not to say what's best for me as a husband, mm-hmm. but it's to say what's best for the business, which means my household, my marriage. Right. And the wife has to look at it that same way, not best for me. But, and we have to learn how to stay in our roles. Now, oftentimes we get out of our roles because the other person is not acting in a way that we think we would act, all right? Mm-hmm. But just because we wouldn't act that way, right. that means that they don't have a right to act that way, as long as they're acting in their role. You know, for example, a woman may not wash clothes as often as I want her to wash clothes. Well, the issue is not whether or not she's washing it the way I want them to be washed. The issue is, is the end result the same? You know, do the, all the clothes clean? You know, are they ironed, whatever? A woman may say that, well, he's not managing the money the way I would manage the money. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean he's managing it wrong. It's just different in the way you would do it. Right. And so, uh, again, it's like in a, 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 a relationship where you have a supervisor and an employee. The supervisor does not always make decisions that the employee agrees with, mm-hmm. but the employee does them because that's the supervisor. And the employee does not always carry out the thing carry out the task exactly the way the supervisor would carry them out. But as long as it gets performed in a way that that works, the supervisor lets them do it because that's the relationship that they are built. Now, you know, I've had people say to me, um, well, um, you don't know my spouse like I know my spouse. They are absolutely correct. I think the basic problem we face, you know, is we get married for the wrong reasons. So, of course, if you're already married, then it's too late. But if I'm talking to any single people, I hope they will understand what to look for when they initially get married. And that's right. a huge problem. Right. That is that is a big problem. And in the countless conversations and debates that we've had uh, as a, you know, in the family discussions or just discussions in general, I always keep coming back to the same thing. So, well, that's the stuff you should have realized before you got married. Mm-hmm. Like if you. If you knew you wasn't compatible on this level, if you know if you're a super independent woman and I'm independent, blase, you know, blase, 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 then I would say, okay, then you don't want to get married. Well, you, if you're, you're uh, biblically, you, it doesn't. It, if you're going to hold on to that that power so much to the point where you're going to have that big struggle, then you're going to cause friction where the man may not even want the friction. Or a, a, a woman. It's, it, right. it's both ways. Here's the thing. If, if either party is unwilling to yield to God, then you're not ready to get married. Right. Because the idea is not to do what I do to please the person. Mm-hmm. The idea is to do what I do to please God. Gotcha. That's, that's the deal. So I'm, I'm responding in a certain way, not to please man, but to please God. That's the mistake that we make. Uh, think about this for a, a, a moment, uh, if you will. For I've heard people say things like this, that I can't do what the Bible says do because my husband is not what the Bible says they should be. Well, to me, that statement is a very poor statement, and here's why I say that. Number one, I look at my wife, for example. My wife degree, my wife undergrad degree is in psychology, right? And then she went in and, and changed her major and, and got early childhood education. She got a master's degree in education. My undergrad degree is in finance. 
my master's uh, is in business with emphasis in economics, all right? Now, obviously, one of us has a business-oriented degree, one has an education degree. When it comes to investing and things like that, certainly uh, it would make good sense to think that my education, you know, um, is, is the one that we ought to lean on. But let me say this. If the roles were reversed and I was the wife and she was the husband, all right, I married her thinking that she would always look after my best interests, right. okay? And she may not make the decisions that I would make, but that don't mean they'll be bad decisions. And matter of fact, she may make decisions that sometimes uh, are, 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 are detrimental, but everybody makes mistakes. Right. That don't mean I would think she's unworthy to lead. Right. Just because she didn't make the decisions I would make. What we do oftentimes is our concept is if you're not leading the way I think you should lead, you are not worthy of leading. And that's not the issue. The issue is um, you doing your job and me being, doing my job. I mean, that's really the, the, the way it ought to be. Uh, so, I mean, do men make mistakes? Yeah, of course they do. Right. Do women make mistakes? Of course they do. But that does not say that they're still not worthy of the job that God gave them. Right. You know, and you see, you see so many couples and married couples that have not, that really just don't sit down and just map that piece out. Now, I'm going to ask this question. If, as, a, as head of the household as a man, because this comes up all the time, where should the finances go? Should it be joint accounts, separate accounts, how how should that be handled? If, a, like you just got through saying, if the roles were reversed, if, um, if the first lady had the finance background and you was in education, would it be, does the head of the household have to control the finances? I guess the question I'm asking. The head of the household does not have to control the finances, but the head of the household ought to be taking the lead as far as the, where we're going to go, you know, what are the what are the goals of, of this marriage and where we're trying to get to. Let's say if I'm here in the household and I know that I am poor in managing the money, but my wife is not, you know, she's very astute at that. Right. Then at the head of the household, I could say to her, do you mind taking this on? And if she's willing to, and she can take it on, then she should be the one to take it on, but not, not take it from me, but because I have delegated it to her, okay? Now, as far as a joint account, a single account, that's up to the head to, to deal with. Um, I would say this, if I'm going to formulate my, my marriage based on the Bible, the Bible says that the two shall become one. So if the two shall become one, and also Christ says that where your treasures are, that's where your heart will be. If I want to put my heart into this marriage, put my money into this marriage, that, that, that will put my heart there. So, I mean, can we have separate accounts? But the, to, the, your, your, your finances should be based on need and not based on greed. Let me say it again. The way I handle my money should be based on need and not based on greed. Mm -hmm. So in other words, separating the accounts out should be based on what is necessary for us to manage our money properly. Not because I'm greedy and I don't want you to be able to touch my money. Right. You know, so that's how you make that determination. If the only reason I'm separating the money is because I want to have my money and you have your money, I don't want you to touch my money. So that's greed. 
if I'm separating the money out because we have a, an account, let's say that we have for um, our investment account, or we have an account, our operations account, and then we have a smaller accounts where you know we use for personal, you know, that's one thing because we're doing it because there's a need to do it that way, and that's really how you're going to deal with your finances. Very good advice. Um, so let's let's talk about the the abusive side of things and mm-hmm. domestic violence. How? How do you, what does the Bible say about dealing with domestic violence? Because the Bible is clear on not getting a divorce, even though people do it every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm the one to say, you know, hey, if the guy's beating you and you or, or the woman's verbally abusing you every single day, you just sure. cannot tolerate it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's not biblically sound, but I'll, be, I'll tell people, like, look, man, you got to do what you got to do. You, you, you're only on earth for so much time. Mm-hmm. So it, it don't need to be sitting around catching hell for, for no reason. So but how do we get around that and, fi- and fix that? Like, well, let's we clarify more. There is a misconception when people, you know, I've heard people say the Bible. Why should I let my husband be the head of the household if he's going to abuse me? Well, um, first of all, we have to we have to, I guess, determine what is abuse, because what one person may call abuse may not be abuse. It may mean that what you don't agree with what I'm doing. Right. You know, uh, because mental abuse is subjective. I'm not saying it's not act, not true, but it's subjective. So we got to separate physical abuse from mental abuse. All right. Because. Uh, a mental abuse can take go two ways. A woman can mentally abuse a man and physically abuse a man, and a man can do both to a woman. All right. The Bible does not say that a woman should stay with a man who is physically abusing her. I, I don't know where people get that that idea from. That's not what the Bible says. What Jesus said is that God did not create man and woman to separate. He created them to be married for life, you know, till death do you part. But he also said that Moses allowed for divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts, okay? Because men would put their wives in physical danger uh, rather than uh, deal with them in in a way that made good sense. So he said because of that, they divorced so that you know the woman would be out of physical danger. So the Old Testament allows for that. You know, no doubt, there's no error it does allow for that. So there's and, and there's nothing in the New Testament that says that you are required to stay with the person that is physically abusing you. In fact, uh, Paul said something along these lines. He said, if the unbeliever is not content to stay with the believer that the believer is loose from the bond, okay? Which would suggest that if the person is treating you like you're not their spouse, okay, then that means they're not content to live with you as a spouse, all right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's that, I mean, let's that, 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 that make that clear. The Bible does not condone physical <laughs> abuse or mental abuse. In fact, Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Paul said, a man should treat his wife like Christ treats the church. Okay? There's nothing in the Bible that indicates Christ physically or mentally abuses me. Nothing right. that suggests that. 
So therefore, we know the Bible does not condone that. And, and we need to call that out and we need to be honest about that. But just like men should not abuse women, we, we need to be clear mm-hmm. that women should not abuse men either. Right. You know, uh, because it, 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 it goes both ways. And, and, and so um, to, to assault someone in either way goes against what the Bible says, because the Bible says a woman should reverence her husband. And you you can't reverence me if you're abusing me. Right. You, you know you, you can't throw hot grits on me. <laughs> you, you, know, you, you can't mentally abuse me and be right. reverencing me. So it, it goes both ways. But the Bible is very clear with, in that regard. Yeah. You know who else knows it's clear? Al Green. Al Green knows, <laughs> and he's a preacher, so he understands the concept. Yeah. <laughs> so. For for the people that are dealing with the uh, couples that are dealing with the abuse, as a counselor, how do you, what's your first thing you go to for like the first step to get them to get over it or to, for it to stop? Sure. Let, let, let's break it down into two different types, all right? Because again, you have physical and you have mental abuse. Mm-hmm. Most marriages suffer from mental abuse, uh, not because the abuser is trying to abuse you, it's because when people are hurt, they fight to hurt, mm-hmm. you know? And so what people do is they don't attack the problem, they attack the person. That's not just the man, it's, it's both couples. They attack the person. Anytime you attack the person, that is mental abuse. Anytime you call the person out of their name, anytime you make the person feel small, anytime you make the person feel like less of a human being, that's mental abuse. And that happens both ways. So what you have to what we have to do is help couples understand and see that to abuse the other person, whether it's the woman or the man, does not solve the problem. Even if you hurt me, abusing you doesn't solve the problem. The way we solve the problem is attack the problem. You know, what did you do? It is again, I said this earlier, and I'm, I really I can't say this enough. Are there things, are there decisions that I have made? that has hurt my family? Of course, because I'm not perfect. Right. Are there decisions my wife have made that have hurt my family? Of course, because she's not perfect. But that does not mean either one of us was trying to hurt the family. Right. Now, see, people have a tendency to think just because you hurt me, you were trying to hurt me. And that's not true. And so what they do is when they are hurt, they attack. And when they attack, that's that mental abuse. We have that take a step back and remember that why would what benefit it is of my wife to hurt me? What is the benefit to her to hurt me? Mm-hmm. None really. So if she's hurting me, it's because she has been hurt. Right. That's, that's why she's doing it. So what we need to do, and I said if, I'm not saying she is doing it, I'm just right. saying if. Right. So then what we have to do is step back and say, okay, what is the real problem here? What is the problem? Let's attack the problem, not each other. Right. And, and that's, that's really, as a counselor, that's what you do. You help people see the problem that they're facing rather than the, the, the game of blaming and the game of, of trying to hurt the person with words because that can go on forever. Right. So what do you do in a situation to where you're, you recognize it mm-hmm. and you say, okay, you want to back up from it and then let's, um, let's address the problem. Mm-hmm. But the person is the other person is still on the attack. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you handle that? Because you can't make another person switch gears. You can't make them stop attacking you, but you can ask them a simple question. What's that? What do you want me to change? 
Yeah. What do you want me to change? You know, if, if what I'm doing is not working, what do you want me to change? Now, the person may go on, but if you ask them and say, yeah, you're right, I did hurt you, but what do you want me to change? Because I don't know what I need to do. If I did, I wouldn't have hurt you in the first place. All right. and now you shift it back to where we can have a conversation about what actions need to go forward so we don't keep mentally abusing each other. Because you're right, people won't just automatically stop, you know, and, and attack the problem. It's not a part of our nature. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, there's an old saying that hurt people hurt people. And right. it's just true. If I have been hurt, I will hurt. Uh, and it's up to us to uh, to, to 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 accept that you know um, that, that I mean, that's really where where life is at. If you have two people who are both immature, then you have problems mm-hmm. because neither one of them will come to the realization that we need to start looking at why and not just you know attack attack right. attack. You know, one thing that helped me in that aspect of things by we talked uh, this was over a year ago we talked about the ego mm-hmm. and then once you and I, I highly suggest people really study into this because once you realize how the ego works you'll start to recognize when something is attacking your ego versus you mm-hmm. and then then you and because you can get wrapped up in it so fast you're like you're hurting me I'm gonna boom 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 and I'm not just talking about in a relationship I'm talking about this everyday life somebody cut you across cut you across on the road and your ego's hurt and then you're going on and you're mouthing and other guys in the car like what are you talking about I didn't see you I'm sorry and then you all make like oh okay you, you calm down but What's interesting is when that ego gets a hold of stuff, mm-hmm. you having that knowing is is huge when you're able to step back and say, you know what, I'm out, you know, I'm out of pocket on this one. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that with a lot of people, they find it hard to apologize from when they finally recognize that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's hard for people to say, you know what? I'm my bad. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, none of us like to admit that we are wrong because it minimizes who we believe we are as a per- as a person. You know, because we don't like to feel like we are not perfect, which we know we're not, but we don't right. like to to feel that that way. You know, here's the thing that I have learned down through the years, and nothing that is brand new. It's just simple. If I believe I'm perfect, I can never get better. Yep. Yeah, it's just that simple. The only way to improve is to always think I have flaws because then I will try to change who I am. Now, most people, when they become adults, don't try to change who they are. They um, go through life as if who they are is the best they can be. That limits you. That limits us when we think that way. The fact that I'm now grown and have a college degree doesn't mean that I'm the best I can be. I need to every day be looking for flaws in my life to see how can I become better? How can I improve? You cannot enjoy your life to the fullest extent if you think you already are the best you can be. Mm-hmm. And so that never self, self says that you make mistakes every day, you know, if you, if you think that way. Once you begin to think that way, it does allow you to better yourself. It does allow you to think differently about who you are. 
And it allows you not to feel like you are less of an individual because you have made a mistake. Now, people will try to make you feel like you are, you know, somehow not as good because you made mistakes. But then that's that's up to us to 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 um, have to know ourselves enough. And that a part of that is, in my opinion, I know that you would disagree with me, is that the lower your self-esteem is, the harder it is for you to say, I was wrong. The higher your self-esteem is, the easier it is for you to say I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Because people who, who who have a high opinion of themselves, who, well, I shouldn't say high opinion, who feel good about themselves is a better way to put it. If you feel good about yourself, it doesn't bother you to admit you can be better. Right. If you are aware that people will think bad of you, that's when you have low self-esteem, then you have a, it's uncomfortable for you to admit that that you you were wrong. But that's life. And so for those people who have a problem admitting they were wrong, okay, don't admit it. Right. But what I would suggest to them is one simple thing is you don't have to admit you're wrong to solve a problem. Yeah. Still assault, solve the problem. Don't attack me. Solve the problem. If I hurt you, let's solve the problem. You know. Yeah, the whole, the whole. That's the whole. At the end of the day, that's the whole point. That's right. not the problem. So, so the key. So the key to mental abuse is is that. Now, let me say this too: that this, see, there's some mental abuse that's perceived, but I'm not saying it's not mental abuse mm-hmm. because if I perceive it, it still affects me negatively. Right. Right. There's some people. If you correct them, will say that's mental abuse. You know, right. because now you're making me feel like I'm less than a person and, and, and so forth and so on. It's not that a person is trying to abuse you. They're trying to help you become better. You know, for example, let's say a person is, um, you know, I guess the best example is like if a lady, for example, has a child, she gains weight. And her husband says something to her like, baby, you know, you get a little, get a little fat, you know, you lose a couple pounds. Only calling me fat. Right. You know, and if he, Keeps on doing that. You need to take you need, you need some exercise. You just after a while, it's interpreted that that's mental abuse. You're talking about me in a in a negative way. It didn't mean he was trying to abuse you. So that's what I say. It's perception, right? Yeah. But that mean he was trying to abuse you. Now, is he right? No. But I'm just saying that means he's trying to abuse you. Whether you distinguish between is a person trying to bring me down, right? You know, or are they trying to help me, right? Cause he didn't say that you were you like a fat hog that's on a kitchen table. Well, even if you said that, that doesn't mean he's trying to hurt you. Some people think if they talk to you that way, it will motivate you to be better. <laughs> Some people, but yeah. Right, let me give you an example. My mother said to me several times, "Why I got to have the dumbest kids in the neighborhood?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, I didn't think she was trying to abuse me. I right. understood she was trying to motivate me. Right. That doesn't mean it was the best way to do it, but right. that's what she did. Right. And it did motivate me. Okay? So I'm just saying, sometimes stuff's going to come out bad. Right. That mean they're trying to hurt you. They might be trying to motivate you because that's how they, how it was done to right. them. Right. I'm just saying we're distinguish between the two. So, but that's one side. The other side is physical abuse. Is a person physically abusing me? And I'm saying that there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that one should take physical abuse. Because here's what we know. 
there's no such thing as I didn't mean to abuse you physically. Right. So you can't slap me and say, I didn't mean to slap you. Right. You can't stab me and say, I didn't mean, unless, you know, of course, it really was an accident. Right. You know, but, right. but, you know, you don't just keep punching me in my face and say, that was an accident. I didn't realize my hand hit you five times. Right. You know, I didn't realize I kicked you five times. So that's purposeful. That's purposeful. Right. And so I'm saying that since that's purposeful, and since that is clear, that that goes against how the Bible says we should treat our spouses, right? right? You can't tell me you loving me like Christ loved the church if you pound it on my face, right. right? That means the husband does not love you that way. And and there's nothing in the Bible that says that I must take that, okay? It, 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 it doesn't. And in fact, the Bible does give it out. Yeah, so in a scenario of, of physical abuse, when the, the couple or the person that comes to you as a, as a counselor seeking help to rectify the situation, mm-hmm. they no longer want to be physically abusive. They don't know why they, they are snapping, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. What is your first step? And, and My first step is to find out why they are so, so frustrated. Because here's nine times out of 10, a person, whether it be the man or the woman, their feeling is that's the only way I can get through to you. I am frustrated and that's the only way I can get through to you is by doing that. That, That's not all the time, but that's the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. So the thing that we have to look at is is why, why are they so frustrated? You know, what is it about? Because oftentimes their frustration is not the target of the abuse. Oftentimes their frustration is something else, Mm -hmm. but the person that they are closest to becomes a target of the abuse because that's the one that will take it. Like, you know, for example, the husband may feel inadequate on the job, you know, he he may have a job that he doesn't like and super bosses, you know, making him feel like a little kid when he's a grown man. And so he wants to be in control somewhere. So he comes home to be in control and he ends up abusing maybe the spouse or the children. Right. You, you, you know, that kind of thing. So we've got to get to, this, to, to, to the crux of that. It's always about solving the problem first. Once we can solve the problem, we can work with it. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to stay, in, stay there and take the, the beating while we solve the problem. Right, right. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to bring before we close out? Uh, no, I think we've had a good discussion. And, and uh, you know, again, I, I, I would like to just let people people understand that 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 the roles that God laid out in the Bible are are not negotiable roles, <laughs> you, you know, is that God meant what he said. And if we want the benefit of healthy marriages, it is up to us to say, you know what, God knows best. And the more we can pattern ourselves, husband and wives, to the roles that God laid out, the easier our lives will be. It's mm-hmm. a great benefit to both parties to, 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 to function the way the Bible lays things out. Just like there's a great benefit uh, in a business to follow the rules and regulations of the business. Because mm-hmm. anytime you deviate from that, right. now there are problems. That's when you have issues. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us. This is your host, C.B. Baker. Till next time.